0: life happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM leading the conversation
1: Thank you so much for staying with us it's 7 minutes after 2 o'clock now Lily's Leaf CEO has penned an article that we came across that uh, has asked us some really difficult questions about how are we going to keep the memories and legacies alive of these really interesting and very important uh, sites uh, museums and uh, sites that keep our history together Um, and he is is mentioning the fact that COVID-19 has brought with it some some troubling effects on on the community of museums and and spaces that are supposed to hold our legacies uh, together. Um, he joins us now on the line, CEO of Lily's Leaf Trust, Nicholas Wolpe, to just really unravel and give us a, a good sense of what has been happening in his space. Good afternoon, and thank you so much for joining us, Nicholas.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Pumala, and good afternoon to your listeners.
1: You know, you mentioned a few museums and District 6. We spoke to them not so long ago. You mentioned just how they've been affected by COVID-19. Well, how has COVID-19 affected Elisdif?
0: Well, I mean, if I can talk about it in a much more general sense, Mm. I mean, the reality is the lockdown has stopped travel. As we know, world travel has come to a grinding halt. Mm. So that's the one impact. So you have a situation where there's no international tourists coming into the country, which is affecting everyone from museums, um, game reserves, hotels, and local travel as well. So one of the important sources of income for places like Lily's Leaf, District 6, and other independent sites relies on one aspect, some, the income generated from uh, Tourists who mm. use pay come and pay to utilize, the, you know, go through the facility, come into the restaurant, and on top of that, you know we've in Lily's Leaf has offered conferencing facilities, and of course that sub also has dried up because of the lockdown, and this throws into question what's going to happen post COVID-19. I mean, we don't even know when it's going to end. I mean we talk about going down to lockdown one but if you look what's happening in europe again you're witnessing a a spike again in numbers and not only a spike in numbers but a spike in numbers that is affecting at one point that age group which which was seen to be less um, susceptible to the disease so that is a big problem so On the one hand, we're operating like everyone else in a world that we have no idea what's going to happen. Mm. We don't know what the new norm is going to be. And in that new norm, we don't know the impact that it's going to have on revenue sources and generating revenue. Mm. And that's the one aspect. And we also are dependent on donor funding to supplement the income that we generate, because the income that we generate, just like District 6 and other uh, independent sites, and museums is not sufficient to cover operating costs. So there is a kind of triple whammy that we're facing.
1: Mm, because obviously those who would be donors, if they're affected and their income is affected, they don't continue to then support you.
0: Exactly, because they have their own problems. And, you know, one of the issues that we've confronted in this current climate, which I've had discussions with a number of people on, is, you know, you know we, how do we justify supporting site of memory when we have a situation where we have thousands and millions of people who have been made effectively destitute they you know they're relying on the generosity of food banks they're relying on the generosity of handouts and that requires money so you have this kind of another whammy in terms of how do you justify on the one hand supporting a historical fight while at the same time recognizing that we have huge swathes of the population who are now dependent on handouts to survive and to continue living.
1: I mean, I know that some of the people that used to come through would be busloads of school children. That has stopped, I know, as well. But the point here is that it is important. I know that, you know, it's it's not something that is easy to make a decision on when people support you. As you said, people have, have mouths to feed. And, and this is not necessarily a priority. But it is. It is. People's history, people's uh, heritage is, is is very, very important to their, their, the, you know, their development as, as a society. What case do you make for those who are looking or thinking or re supporting you at this time when you are up against other needs of the country?
0: Well, you know, probably you've just made a very important point and statement about the importance of history. So we are also operating at a time in an environment, in conditions where history itself Today is not seen as important. It has been diminished. It has been pushed to the periphery. So we are battling. I mean, one of our bylines is the memory against forgetting. So we are struggling with this situation where the importance of our past, the importance of our struggle, the importance of history in its totality, not just our liberation struggle history, is under attack. We are... continuously trying to justify the importance of why it is essential to keep history alive. We hear it all the time. I mean, interestingly, I was watching The Da Vinci Code the other night. And the one thing at the beginning of the movie, Tom Hanks is giving a lecture to students talking about how significant and important it is to understand our history, because in understanding our history, it gives meaning and context to the present. It helps to explain why things are as they are. I and mean, if we look at the great social scientists of the 18th and 19th century, Durkheim, Max Weber, Karl Marx, um, Engels, Hegel, they all located their analysis within a historical context. They talk about the importance of history in terms of understanding oneself, understanding one's consciousness. I mean, Karl Marx said, we are born into uh, into a society not of our choosing or making, but into a society that is grounded within a historical framework. Now, why Has that disappeared? So while you've made that very important point about the importance of history, we have our own struggle and our own fight to try and keep that history alive and at the forefront of people's consciousness.
1: You know, I I want us to put in context and and make it quite real what it is that we stand to lose if we have places like yourselves go. You know, we we just cannot afford that. Uh, My recollection, Nicholas, is that Lily's Lee Farm is the one institution that holds the original recordings of Chief Albert Lutuli's uh, Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, for instance. I
0: I mean, we have a lot of things. I mean, we have a lot of material. We, You know, our archive is full of rich material. I mean, you know, we just recently, um, for example, discovered handwritten notes. Well, I've discovered, my sister, I should say, has just discovered handwritten notes of Operation Ibuya that my father wrote, which we are hoping to get to Lily's. So these are the sorts of rich documents, as well as that capture i mean if we're going to talk about the archive i always want to make reference to what canline hamilton and that wonderful quote and i'm going to paraphrase it where she says the archive is the storehouse to the unborn child so that's what we're losing we would lose the storehouse to the unborn child we will lose the material the richness the recordings accessibility people being able to come and listen and hear the stories through as one says, through the horse's mouth, through the individuals who lived it. Because as you know, Pumella, with we are left with one person linked to the Ravonia trial. That's Dennis Cooney. Apart from Dennis Cooney, everyone who has been closely associated, either indirectly or directly, has passed away. It's almost the physical link to the Ravonia trial in that unique period is on the verge of passing into the realm of history. What do I mean? While they were still alive, it was a physical history, mm. it was a real history. But as soon as they pass, it goes from being a physical to an archival history. That their stories now pass into the archive, into places like Lillies District 6 and other places. I mean, what is interesting is they also, places like Lily's Leaf, District 6, and other independent entities, give a voice. Because that's also another important aspect. There are so many people out there who need a voice. And in the article written on District 6, for example, which I quote in the article, she says it's a place where people, it's a, a place for people to come to terms with. It's a, it's a place where they are able to come and express the, the pain and angst that, and, that they experienced and suffered during the apartheid era. It's a cathartic experience. When we tracked down, Lily, Leaves tracked down the two last surviving farm laborers, the first thing they said to my professional team was, we have been waiting for 48 years for someone to come and listen to our story. Sure. When was this, Nicholas? This was in 2011. I mean, they literally said, and when we brought the families of all the farm labourers and the children to Liliesley, Elizabeth Mashafani, who was the daughter of Thomas Mashafani, said to us, "This has been one of the most important cathartic experiences for mm. all of us because mm. it means that our story has meaning and worth." And I'd like to quote from a movie because I think this what. This quote from a movie, does is in exact meaning to places like Lily's Leaf and District 6. It's from the King's speech. And the King is about to be inaugurated. And he turns to a person who's helping him talk and says to him, I have a voice. I have a right to be heard. Those are two very powerful quotes. I have a voice and I have a right to be heard. And that is... One of the important roles that places like Lily's Leaf plays in giving people a voice, and it's important to remember places like District 6 give voices to those who had their land viciously dispossessed by a brutal regime. And it's so essential to answer why we need to keep these independent places of history, of sites of memory alive and thriving, and ensure that they remain part of our cultural and social edifice.
1: So, we need to obviously find new ways of doing things. And and one wonders, well, how possible will it be then for you to transition from where you are now, being the bricks and mortar where people come to something different, something that is still going to carry the legacy, carry our heritage, but maybe accessed in a different way?
0: Well, I mean, again, very interesting point. We are doing that. So what we have just done is we've just produced with the National Institute for Humanities and Social Sciences, Agents for Change, a web-based virtual exhibit, which is a start of a five-year process. So we've just completed phase one. Phase two is going to be doing women in the struggle from 1950 to 1965. We are working with the Swedish embassy, the Swedish institute and CEDA to develop a web-based exhibit for The role that Sweden played not only in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa but is the support for those who fought against colonialism. And the idea is to create an educational tool, an interactive tool that can be used as a method. So one of the other important things which I didn't make reference to because of social distancing, that itself also is going to have an impact because the spaces are not large enough to take huge numbers. So even when we do open, we have to limit the number of individuals coming through to comply with the protocols around social distancing. So one of the important aspects is to move Lily's Leaf eventually online, which we are starting. We're also about to, we're engaging with the Irish to look at doing the possibility of the role of Irish missionaries and the support that they gave. So one of the things which we are looking at is eventually down the road to move Lily's Leaf entirely online and you will have to eventually pay to come online and experience the tour of Lily's Leaf through a virtual tour online but that is a process but it's a process that we have started and it's a process that has been forced and compelled upon us because of the consequences of COVID-19.
1: You're saying it's a process and it will take a while, what happens between now and then?
0: Well we have to hope we have to find funding and support to enable places like Lily's Leaf District 6 to continue to operate and continue to provide the important um, stories and make them accessible still to the people who want to be able to come through and experience physically what these places have to happen, have to offer, I should say. So it is, but again, you know it is something very complex because we're living in a very difficult time i don't want to underestimate the fact that we're living in very trying economic times and there is huge demand across the board but like you said historical sites particularly independent sites cannot be allowed to succumb to the impact of covid 19 because it will have in the long term fundamental detrimental impacts because around the world most of the historical sites around the world are, for want of a better word, independent where state and government, both national and provincial, provide the platform, they provide the support that is required to help them to sustain themselves and continue. And I think we need in this country to look at a new model which enables us to access the f- support that we are required and we- which will give us also the space and opportunity to fundraise and to raise income both locally and overseas to continue the important work that these institutions are doing and are continuing to do, and still have work to do going forward.
1: So, so, so just break it down for us. For those who don't understand what you're saying, what does that mean? Does it mean you don't get government support? Does it mean that there are better ways in which you could be supported for you to raise the money? What does it? Well,
0: mean? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, the government needs to look at you know and say a role and a responsibility of government is to support independent historical institutions that provide. The, you know, that contributes to promoting and ensuring that our history, our culture, our heritage is preserved and is made accessible and available to all South Africans as well as those coming in from overseas to experience the rich culture, the rich heritage, and the rich. Um, History that we have to offer because South Africa is rich of history. I mean, one of my most favourite stories is you know if you're a football fan, Liverpool um, have named their the area where they the main home stand is called the Cop, and it's because all the soldiers who came from Liverpool fought here in you know in the 1880s. am not you know my history is not great on that The Steenkop battle, and they went back and named it the Cop.
1: So, so, you've got,
0: so, you've got these wonderful historical stories and links between, you know, Liverpool Football Club, the name Cop, and the link to South Africa and the British troops who fought at this, at Stenkop and one of the battlefields in quite a little hotel.
1: Nick, Nicholas, just to find you, you calling Lily's Leaf an independent site. Explain that to to the listeners, please.
0: Well, I think one has to. You've got you've got Robin Island. You've got this. You've got Robin Island, and you've got. Um, freedom park for example they a government owned the, the government appoint a you know through the department of arts and culture they point a board uh they fall under the cultural institution act and they get funding directly from government and it's owned by the state mm-hmm. so like robin island is owned by the state mm-hmm. uh like for example freedom park but you've got district six and lily's leaf which are not owned by the state mm-hmm. and are independent. So that's why they're referred to as independent. I don't like to use the word private because they're not private, because they're a public benefit organizations. They're there for the benefit. So they're independent. They operate outside of the realm of the state. Hmm. But they are fulfilling the obligations so, of the Cultural Promotions Act of promoting the heritage, history and culture of this country.
1: So but the virtue of them being independent means that you, you, you're not really supported by the state. Is that is that correct, correct?
0: Correct, yes.
1: Okay. And and so far then you are saying that, you know, gate takings for instance do not sustain um the the, the running of the actual um place, then then how have you been managing so far if the state has not been supporting you?
0: Well we've been getting external funding from external sources both locally and internationally wow. over the years. Um, we have um, so that is basically how we have managed to do it over the last couple of years and through this and through this very trying time, um the Bank have been fantastic in, you know, ensuring that we ha- you know, they're helping us. You know, It's not on a commercial basis, though, but they have been there to support and help us. And I think my, I'd like to tip my hat to Absa because of their wonderful support and their wonderful help and their understanding during this very critical time. But in the past, it's been a combination of the private sector, overseas donors, overseas funders, primarily that we have managed to sustain ourselves and keep ourselves going.
1: Is there any way that uh, just an ordinary South African who's listening now can support you?
0: Well, I mean, I suppose, you know, um, if they wanted to make a donation, they could contact us and we would give uh, the our bank account details. That would be, at this point, would be very helpful. You know, the idea of just help getting local South Africans. But again, I, you know, I have to, I'm very much aware that, you know, South Africans are under the, the cost. you know, they're under extreme pressure. They themselves are struggling. But, you know, if South Africans were willing to come forward, we would be extremely grateful for their support and their help at this trying time.
1: I mean, in the near future, are you likely to open your doors?
0: Our aim is to reopen on the 1st of um, October because we are determined to continue. You know, that has always been our mantra. We have been going for 18 years and we will continue to go but we recognize you know we now need it's, it's now much more uh, difficult it's much harder because of the impact of covert 19 and i believe with you know we now need to make it much more the, the general populace much more aware of the conditions under which the leaf, leaf has been operating you know prior to that we always managed to Secure funding of some sort or other, but now the situation has changed the 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 environment is completely different as you know again I come back to it like everyone else does we 're now living you know in a covert world at the moment we don't know what the post covert world is going to look like because we're in the eye of the pandemic still and the world is still struggling to come to terms with it and the impact is still being felt worldwide so but i think it's important that we now begin to stand up both ourselves not just ourselves but places like district six and other independent entities stand up and start to voice their concern and say that we now need to talk with one voice, because we all have an important and critical role to play in promoting the culture, heritage, and history, and preserving the culture, heritage, and history of this country.
1: Right, and Nick Nilsen, well, Peter. We're going to have to leave it there. CEO of Lily, Lily's Leaf Trust, and uh, what we're hearing is not great news. They they really are on the verge of closing their doors. I'm not sure how you can assist, but it's important that we know this. Uh, they they sit with lots of archives that that to our history, to our heritage, this, the heritage of this country, essentially. And uh, it's closing its doors would be quite um, a loss indeed for this country. So they are hoping to open their doors again on the 1st of October. We we shall wait and see and, and give you feedback on that. 2.30, let's go to Uzila Sako for the latest in headlines.